and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Kin, our final episode of 2022. My God. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my co-host and friend Julio, my co-pilot on the never-ending quest of the contrary. Julio, another year in the books, uh, a calendar year. We, we, we done good, and I think we're... Ending not with a bang, but with a whimper. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> I mean, if you go by by the tomato meter, I guess. But this is, uh, I, appropriately, we're ending the year on a patron demand. I think that's, you know, they keep the machine running, so it's only appropriate. They decide how we close. That's right. They, they decide our fate. Much like Michael B. Jordan, they decide our fate. Uh, <laughs> Who, uh, for those of you who don't know, Michael B. Jordan was the executive producer on this film. Uh, We are here today to discuss the 2018 science fiction crime action thriller, Kin, directed by brothers Jonathan and Josh Baker, with a screenplay by Daniel Casey. Anything else of Daniel Casey? I've never heard of him. Yeah, me neither. Did he he write uh, Io? Because that movie had like five writers. (laughs) He was an uncredited writer on 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I've never seen. Well, that movie, not to tip my hand here, but that movie is better than Kin. Oh, here you go. He was a writer on uh, Fast 9 or F9. Yeah, that I didn't make it that far. <laughs> the Fast and Furious saga. Nah, nah, we're good. Starring uh, Miles Truitt. Introducing Alex, Miles Truitt. Excuse me, Jack Raynor. Zoe Kravitz with Dennis Quaid and James Franco. <laughs> Man, it's a shame that they didn't just go the extra mile, just that final step. And it was like, and James Franco as. Oh, yes. The name of his character in Homefront. I mean, well, we're returning back to Homefront in this. I, I pumped my fist when I figured out James Franco is the bad guy in this. <laughs> Plays Taylor Ballack, a, cr- a crime lord. And for those of y'all who haven't heard it or those of you know, longtime listeners that remember, we were very big fans of James Franco being the bad guy in uh, Homefront. It's a lot more fun when he's a bad guy in a movie as opposed to when he's revealed to be the bad guy in real life. Zing. <laughs> This is this is post cancellation Franco, right? I don't know. Twenty eighteen? Is it post Oscars Franco? That's really the the main question. <laughs> it was all downhill from there. Oh, when he hosted with Anne Hathaway? Yeah. 
Wasn't that like 2015 or something? I don't know. Anyway, James Franco's the bad guy, and oh, believe you me, he gets his in the end. But uh, <laughs> again, we're here to discuss Kin, a fascinating piece of business. Uh, but if this is someone's jumping off point with us, Godspeed. I'm curious who like who works at Summit and was like, all right, we need to see what people are saying. Or, uh, was it Lionsgate? Summit and Lionsgate were in the signatures at the beginning, but... <laughs> they're like all right we need to see what the streets are saying we're thinking about re-releasing this <laughs> who's the chump that got assigned to uh monitor the google alerts for kin <laughs> yeah for real he's just been like you know fucking playing solitaire on his computer for the last three years <laughs> four years jesus uh julio who demanded this this comes from uh patron and friend of the show well, i guess all patrons are friends of the show but this is this is somebody that we actually I spent time with, and he guessed it. He said, the passenger's man, Jordan Mans. He said, here you go, guys. <laughs> this is, <laughs> I think what he said on his message was, this is a true a true episode movie because it's it has a rotten score. And I think that so far, the things that he's assigned to us, because he's giving us QVRs and he's giving us movies for, for the patron feed, mm-hmm. they have been fresh, maybe middling at times, but generally on the fresh side of the tomato meter. And this time, I don't know if he agrees with the fact that this is a rotten movie, but he certainly, he was very aware of what he was giving us when it came to a critical reception. Yeah, for our patron feed previously, he'd given us Aniara, which was a pretty fascinating film and feels appropriate. Similar sheen to both of those. But um, He just gave us, for QVRs, uh, he gave you The Art of Self-Defense, Mm-hmm. And he gave me Mass, which now that I've watched the movie and done the QVR, like I can tell you what I didn't know when I first plugged it on the show. Like this is a movie about a mass shooting. <laughs> it's like really heavy. So I was I delighted. Got off easy that, with that. Yes. I was, yeah, I really, really fucking liked Art of Self Defense, but it was you know a comedy. Yeah, I was just glad that Ken was lighter fare, to say the least. <laughs> yes. James Franco is the bad guy. It's, he's somewhere in between Alien from Spring Breakers and his character in Homefront. You know, he's uh, or he just showed up to set like that and is like, "I'm not fucking changing." <laughs> this is me now. And Dennis Quaid was constantly like looking at the clock, like, I, "I'm off at five. You know, you better get this shit in." He he walked up to the the director, the directors, because there's there's two guys, and he was like, "Here's an idea. What if you kill me?" On the first act. <laughs> the end of real one, I'm dead. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. So before we dive into Ken, if this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for our returning listeners, you know you know we love y'all. Give us a, a moment here while we explain what it is we do to any of our potential newbies. Here on The Contrarians, our battle cry is we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is what we do. We find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times accompanied with that beautiful uh, trademark logo of Certified Fresh. And what we'll do is bring that movie down to size, discuss maybe some of the things that are a bit overrated, some things that critics may have just ignored, poor acting, uh, bad score, you know, questionable storytelling choices, that type of thing. Just calling out that, hey, you know, this this high score may not be, you know, all it's cracked up to be. And then conversely, 
like we'll be doing today, we'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes, or in this case, we'll be told a movie to watch that has a rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes. And as you could guess, we'll build that movie up. We'll talk about some of the underrated aspects of it. Uh, acting, score, soundtrack's a big one. It's, it's a banger in this one. You know, bold direction choices, cinematography, uh, you know, plots that are more curious and ambitious than their score reflects being that uh, we have a 35 percenter here on Rotten Tomatoes, obviously not one that's heralded by the critics. Um, so in this first portion, we'll be building up uh, Ken and talking about it in a favorable light. Uh, we do this for two reasons. One, Leo and I used to work together and talked endlessly about how the uh, Rotten Tomatoes system didn't always really tell the whole story and was kind of unfair not so much in the way the system works, but one, the fact that Rotten Tomatoes uh, doesn't really go out of their way to explain how their system works, and then two, those scores, you can't really tell the whole story of a movie in a on a scale of 100%. And then also, the fun, satirical nature of uh, being as over the moon about something as you want to be if you set your mind to it, or as downright cynical as you want to be if you are truly committed to doing so, shit's subjective, so uh, Julio... What I'm describing here all goes to comprise the first half, which we call Contrarian's Corner. If listeners want to know how we really feel about the movie du jour, in this case, Kin, they just have to tune into the second half. That's correct. The second half of the show, aptly titled Real Talk, that's where we tell you how we really feel. We forget about the tomato meter, we drop the gimmick, and now we're just telling you what it was like to watch Kin, in both our cases, for the very first time. And it will prove to be an interesting conversation. We've been on a on a streak of sci-fi for some reason. Uh, you know, we just did Star Trek, and then uh, we did IO. We did Warrior, which is sci-fi in a way, <laughs> because there's the way that Joel Edgerton could make it to the end of that movie. So I think that we've we've kind of it was building up to this, Alex. We didn't even know it, but we we're building up to a big sci-fi conversation to close 2022. And uh, I'm excited to to hear what you have to say, because I don't know really anything. I know that before we recorded, you were uh, getting in the mood by watching X-Men 3. So <laughs> I don't know what that says about Ken. Uh, hopefully that it just whet your appetite for more fantastical adventures. Still on our, my sister and I are watching all the X-Men movies in chronological order. Coming soon to Patreon, my full recount of the x-men franchise the chronological history of of the x-men you get to part three and it's like well wait a minute raven's (laughs) supposed to be dead now what's going on here what happened to cm punk (laughs) all right so ken released theatrically on august 31st of 2018 soundtrack by mogwai scottish post-rock band uh from they, I remember hearing about them when I was younger. So in that 2018? Kind of, no. no. I, I mean, they formed in 95, so they've been around for a while. Uh, I remember high school or something, people, oh, you got to listen to this band. So when I saw that they were doing the music for it, I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, obviously, you know, a, a band, they've been around since 95, a touring band and whatnot, but kind of did some of the uh, Trent Reznor action of later in their career doing scores and soundtracks for movies. You think that's how they got Dennis Quaid? Well, you know, we got the Mogway <laughs> the, the music. You know, speaking of X-Men, it's the Oscar Isaac thing. They signed Dennis Quaid because he thought he was going to get to work with Zoe Kravitz. And then, you know, <laughs> Oscar Isaac, you know, oh, I get to work with all these great actors. And nope, didn't really work out that way. You see, Jimmy, me and my brother, we don't, we don't project any illusions about 
who we are, what we do, you know? We're very clear that first day, post-charges or what have you, about how we deal with loans. Because uh, there are people who do business like you, and there's people that do business like us. So, uh, is there something funny about the language on that you didn't understand? Some kind of fine print problem? No. Chased by a vengeful criminal, the feds, and a gang of otherworldly soldiers, an ex-con and his adopted teenage brother go on the run with a weapon of mysterious origin as their only protection. So, Julio, right away, we got a pretty fascinating little sentence there to get us going. Uh, but 35%, this was not beloved by many. Uh, what exactly were the critics saying at the time of release, or I guess since then? Because, you know, Rotten Tomatoes is an ever-evolving score. So what were you able to to uh, dig up for us here? That's true. It's ever-evolving. I mean, this episode might actually move the needle in a way that, <laughs> you know, Next year, two years from now, Kin will be a fresh movie. You're welcome. But we're going to start with David Harris. All these quotes are rotten. David Harris from Spectrum Culture, who says, Kin is a movie that never should have been made. It's a horrible thing to say. I mean, <laughs> straight to the point. Yeah. He's not very loquacious. He gets right to it. He's like, the wrong kid died. That's brutal. Dan Buffa from KSDK News St. Louis says... Kin is an atrocious marriage of bad acting and laughable writing. Bad acting? Alex, this is an all-star cast. Like, we haven't even gotten to Carrie Coon. We'll save it for real talk. But I don't know that you can say that anybody's acting badly here. You know, you may just have trouble buying into the world because maybe sci-fi is not your thing. But I think that they're they're acting in a very sci-fi way. Did you know that that I'm learning this just now in real time, that Jack Rayner has appeared on The Contrarians before? Oh, yeah. I was I was waiting to see. Uh, I was going to ask you whenever we got to him. I was really like, Alex, where do you know him from? Because you know him from two things. Uh, one of which I didn't know, but. Uh... <laughs> his best work and you didn't even remember. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, he's in. I knew his face looked familiar. So, yeah, he's in Midsummer, And then, yeah, I completely forgot he was in Sing Street, which many, many moons ago we did an episode on Sing Street. Yes. Sing Street, a favorite of mine. He's my favorite character in Sing Street. And then he had to go and do Midsummer, and well, <laughs> we haven't we haven't spoken since. <laughs> uh, next, Rafer Guzman from Newsday says: random ideas, vague characters, stolen plot points. This thing barely qualifies as a movie. Um, it got a theatrical release, so I think that qualifies. <laughs> yeah, I beg to differ. Yeah, it's right there on the big screen. And finally, Jeff Mitchell from Phoenix Film Festival says, This laser gun story misfires. And it's not the only quote that was there with a firing or misfiring pun. Rotten Tomatoes never disappoints. The, they'll, they'll take the bait and go for the obvious one. <laughs> what are those? My shoes. You wear those in public? <laughs> All right. Getting into it with Kin here. We talked about the opening credits, the beautiful with Dennis Quaid and James Franco. Uh, very tone-setting. We get some voiceover action here. Our main character in this movie introducing uh, Miles Truitt, who plays Eli, and uh, lives in Detroit. He's the adopted son of Dennis Quaid. He's having. He's obviously, uh, if you you know, quickly into the movie, obviously find out 
that he just lost his mother. The movie starts, you know, with some uh, distressed phone calls from uh, either his teacher or his principal at school to Dennis Quaid about, you know, I'm worried about Eli. We're noticing some behavioral issues. And we see that he rummages through construction sites, stripping walls for copper, aluminum, things like that, and takes them to chop shops and junkyards and sells them back uh, or sells them, you know, stealing. And he flips them for 100% profit. He stumbles across like a scene of chaos. I mean, the movie starts with like action. Uh, there's like a shootout going on, and it seems like extraterrestrial activity. Yep. Did Did you immediately get the idea that we're in for like some sci-fi like alien shit here? I not right away. It was when once he when he found the corpses, <laughs> they look pretty futuristic. I'm like, all right, what's going on here? Is this the future? Or is this, you know, are they from another planet or from the, or are they from the future? Uh, that's, so I'm mean, pretty early on into the movie, but that opening where they just blow up the top of the building, I, I, I thought it was too early to tell. I didn't want to get too excited. And like I said, we've been doing a, a fair share of sci-fi recently, so I didn't want to jump the gun just because maybe that's where my, my mind was at. I guess because you mentioned on the credits, Alex, from the moment you see those names, you see Dennis Quaid, James Franco. Was it just a matter of, yeah, this is cool, but I'm just waiting to see when they show up? Yeah, that because when we were talking about this movie originally, when like um, it was put on the table and you look it up on uh, you know Google or whatnot, the first things that pop up are like pictures of Dennis Quaid and James Franco. I was like, <laughs> wait, what? So then like watching it, watching the credits, I was like, do I have the right movie? And even just like <laughs> what happens in the early going, I'm like, how does Dennis Quaid fit into this? Do you think maybe he was going to get to wear one of those uh, futuristic suits? Come like with you me if you want to live. Yeah, he would be the leader. That would be the shit. But uh, it's not to be as Dennis Quaid is his father. Dennis Quaid playing Harold Hal Selinsky. He's a lead on a construction site. You think he's a good dad? He's doing the best he can, man. <laughs> he literally says that. He just lost you, his you wife. You drank the Kool Aid. <laughs> yeah, and the if I'm hard on you, it's just because the the world is hard, and that's that's a very fair statement. Fair point. Something that not enough people are raised to understand these days. So Dennis Quaid, yeah, yeah, he was doing good. He was doing all right. Uh, he's a bit terse and a bit... Um, it's tough love. Could use a bit more warmth to him, I guess I'd say. Do you think but, if he if he had had the 60K to, to, to spare, would, would this movie had played out differently? Uh, I would imagine so. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he, he still thought maybe that Jack Rayner needed to, to learn a lesson. Well, what comes to be is that... James, Jimmy Selinsky, Eli's adopted brother and Hal's son is sprung from the pen. Not sprung. I'm sorry. He gets released from the pen. <laughs> Mixing up my uh, vernacular here. He's been in jail for six years. We don't really know why. It sounds like he's a thief uh, or stole something or obviously did something bad because his dad's super judgmental of him. Uh, he gets out and not unlike Drive, where Oscar Isaac is indebted for protection on the inside. Uh, that's quickly how we come to find our villain in this. What happens is Jimmy comes home. He's going to stay with his dad. Uh, his first night in, he goes to visit our bad guy here, James Franco, again, who plays Taylor. I think they call him Tay in some parts. He's a crime lord and, you know, obviously helped the, the ring that protected Jimmy on the inside. And we quickly find out that because of that, he owes James Franco Taylor, he owes him 60 grand. And, you know, 
Franco's got like this trap house and it's all sketchy. Um, you know, not unlike Spring Breakers. I was getting immediate like flashbacks to Spring Breakers here with, you know, people just strung out playing video games and whatnot. So and, you know, uh, he, that's ten grand a year. If he was if he was in for six years, you owe sixty thousand. So that's ten thousand per year. That's mm. not even a thousand dollars a month for protection. That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> I mean, I would think I would like to live for a thousand dollars a month or a little less than. So yeah, I, I think that's not too bad. It's not it's asking less than too my much. Mortgage. I mean, <laughs> and that's uh, in drive. That's the whole thing we talked about. I thought it was just gonna be twenty grand, but they keep saying oh more and more and more. And James Franco is just up front. He's like, you you just owe me sixty grand. That's it. And uh, so Jimmy immediately realizes that it's not for fucking around anymore. When during his soliloquy about payment and respect taylor pulls out a machine gun and loads it and then begins referencing uh jimmy's dad and his brother and so he he knows what he needs to know i mean he's obviously fairly decent at his job and jimmy obviously goes into a panic he's like well what i meant to say is i have it i just don't have it here very believable yes believable delivery not to put to find a point on it not to belabor the obvious but that this movie's about guns, and even before we get to the gun, uh, yeah, you're right. Franco opens that that package that he has there, that, that big case, and this is like ten or so of those at the time very impressive machine guns or whatever it is that he's carrying there. Later in the movie, that will be dwarfed by a different, a bigger gun. But I like that. I, I think that there's like the, you know the sci-fi stuff and the 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 brotherly connection that runs through the movie, but there's also just this idea of uh, just weapons, guns, and <laughs> what they do, what happens, what kind of person you are when you're holding a gun, and what kind of person you are when the gun is pointed at you. And that is so American. <laughs> Not just in the year 2022, I mean, also in 2018, and probably, you know, as you go back through the decades, this is uh, this is a country that loves its, its guns. And it's funny because this movie... You know, when you think about it, you're going to think it's about the two brothers or it's about the the relationship with the father and all that stuff. You don't really think that it has – it's not like it has much to say about guns, but really once it's all over, that is that thread that's like woven throughout the entire story. And, and it starts right here when Franco pulls out that – I mean, he could have just pulled out a revolver and it would have been as impressive. But the movie, the filmmakers, they, they had a point to make and it's like, yeah – Look, <laughs> this thing is big. And while we're on the subject guns, yeah, uh, kind of running parallel to this, Eli, in one of his places he goes to to look for copper, he's a fucking 14-year-old boy, and, you know, he's earning a hard living. He's pulling copper out of walls and trading it in for cash, and one of the sites that he visits, he finds a wreckage that we talked about. He finds a decapitated body from one of these extraterrestrial beings, and then here's like a beeping, like a, a homing device and follows it down and finds this. It looks just like a big metal rectangle, but he picks it up and after he runs his hand across it, it uncoils and turns into this big fucking 
insane futuristic style weapon like the bfg from doom or some shit (laughs) and it has like you know laser sights and all these graphics that pop out of it and whatnot and i was thinking to myself i was like you know this is like one of the most realistic parts of this movie because if you're 14 and you find something like that if you show your parents are going to take it away from you so of course he's just gonna like hide it in his backpack and take it home and then you know play with it in the mirror and shit and try to look badass with it when no one else is around so it's uh for a movie routed in science fiction, this part of the story I found very, very relatable. That, um, thing your brother has in there? You need to call someone about that. Can't do that. But it's also, it's so genius, because the science fiction part of it is what makes it not as disturbing, you know. It's, it's that way we can have fun with it because you could tell a similar story if he, if this was just a fourteen-year-old that found a gun, you know, like he's he's doing his scavenging and he finds a gun, like the guns that were like like the ones that James Franco has. He would do the same things, but suddenly, as a viewer, you're just kind of more disturbed because it's a little it hits a little too close home. But when you make it a futuristic gun that has the lights and the sounds and all stuff, suddenly there's enough of a disconnect that I can just sit back and. And just kind of like have fun and see where it goes, uh, which is good. You know, it's like that's the type of movie they're trying to make, like something fun instead of a just a, a very serious, very depressing uh, view at, you know, guns that end up in the hands of minors. That's, so, a different, that's a Scorsese movie. Jimmy comes back home and tells his dad what's going on. He's like, hey, I'm in with some bad people. I need money. I need 60 grand, you know, please. And. He's like, I don't have that kind of money. He's like, well, there's the safe at your job site. And he's like, are you threatening me, asshole? And, you know, literally grabs him by the back of the neck and throws him out. He's like, get the fuck out of here. And he's trying to tell him, he's like, this is going to cause problems for you. And that's so unfair that this dude just dragged his dad and Eli into it. Is this where he calls him the replacement kid? Yeah. 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 In his defense, he didn't know that uh, that Eli was listening. <laughs> that was supposed okay. to be an insult between him and his dad. Um, you know, it's weird because I, 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 I'm kind of like on, I wouldn't say that I'm on Jimmy's side here, but I think that Quaid could have been a little more supportive, <laughs> you know, instead of kicking out his son, uh, who has real cause for concern. It's not that he's making this up. You know, Franco said, uh, I know where your dad lives. I know where your little brother lives. So there's, it's a serious threat. Uh, I just wish that Quaid had been a little more, he hadn't gotten so hot so quickly and instead of being like, have you considered talking to the police? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but instead he just kicks the guy out, and and then we're just on the on the path to tragedy. During one of these scenes, I can't remember which one. There's a Detroit Red Wings pennant on the wall. It's like, oh, I forgot we were in Detroit for a second. Thanks for reminding me. One of my notes says, "Without sixty grand, shit's gonna go down." And then the next line it says, "Shit went down." <laughs> As Quaid's gonna go to his work site. Why is he going in? Is he going to pick something up? Yes, because again, with the tough love, he finds out that That's Eli right. is selling yes. the the copper, and he, that Eli is stripping these abandoned warehouses. And uh, Dennis Quaid is pretty old fashioned when it comes to uh, taking stuff that's not yours. So he he grabs Eli by the ear and tells him, "I have a book in my office that has the the phone numbers of every developer in the area. So you're gonna call every number until you find out who owes the place that you've been stripping." And uh, you're going to apologize and you're going to return what you stole. Well, maybe he should have waited till the next morning. Confirmed, because he comes in and shit's going down. Uh, Jimmy led them there and James Franco and his boys are 
hollowing out the uh, the safe there for the money that they're owed. And Dennis Quaid stands his ground of like, hey, that money's not mine and you can't take it and it's not his either. Um, this angers James Franco and Jimmy's telling him, he's like, please just leave or else this is going to go bad. But Dennis Quaid's like, God damn it, I'm not in the second or third act of this movie, so no thank you. <laughs> he ends up getting shot, sadly. Did, did you Franco. see it coming? Not as bluntly as it happened. Like, I figured, like, oh, man, he's going to get shot or, like, messed up in this kerfuffle, but I figured he would at least be around a little bit longer. But James Franco just pulls a gun out and shoots him, and it turns into this shootout, and... Jimmy's trying to wrestle the gun away, and in the fracas, uh, James Franco inadvertently shoots his brother in the neck, Dutch, and uh, this, uh, he dies from this. Jimmy, like a real shitbag, just watches his dad die, <laughs> grabs a sack of cash, and heads out. <laughs> I am uh, loving how hard you are on the Jimmy character. <laughs> oh, Jimmy's a loser, man. It's only going to get worse from here. I know he is, but but he's a lovable loser. <laughs> Weren't you rooting for him to... To see the light, to do the right thing. Well, this part here, you have to blame Eli. He's 14, uh, so he's obviously still a child, but it's like Jimmy's like out of breath and sweating and jumps in the car. He's like, oh, yeah, dad's going to have to work. We got to go. And <laughs> it's like, all right, now we're going to go on a road trip. He's like, okay. But there is something, I mean, we all know that that's, it's all really dumb. Like, like I know he's like, the adrenaline is fucking with him. and He's just trying to get out of there. And I think it's kind of commendable that he doesn't want to leave his little brother behind because he could have, you know, because he, he yeah. gets out of that office with the money. He, he grabs the bag of like 60 grand that Franco was going to take. So uh, he has the means, uh, but I just found there, there was something just very dumb, but also very sweet in the fact that. Jack Rayner thought that he could actually pretend that Dennis Quaid was alive in the long run. You know, it's like he tells he tells Eli, "Oh no, Dad's just gonna be working late." And then the next day, he's like, "Oh yeah, Dad said that we should go out, get out of town, and he's just gonna catch up with us later." It's like at some point, <laughs> you know, Eli's gonna realize that that Dennis Quaid's not showing up, and uh, the truth is gonna come out. But just the fact that that Jack Rayner is playing that type of character, the guy that that actually thinks that this was a good idea, that that this is a this is going to end well somehow. It's I found it endearing, and I'm not saying that the character is not a loser. I'm just saying that it made me kind of root for him in a way. But that could be just residual from uh, Sing Street. Wouldn't have been something if we got like a weekend at Bernie's type thing with Dennis Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> he goes back to the office just to grab the corpse. But he uh, loads up his brother and uh, he takes the cash. Well, most importantly, one, he takes the cash, and two, the Dutch, James Franco's brother, ends up dying in this fray. So that's it. He's blood will be spilled over this. And Jimmy takes Eli back home and says, All right, well, we're going to go on a road trip now. We're going to meet dad in Lake Tahoe. And Eli's just like, What? And Jimmy kind of falses him or pulls the. You know, I'm a man thing. He's like, well, if you just want to be a little kid, that type of thing. Or first he checks him if like there's any type of daycare he can go to. He's like, I'm 14. So he tells him, he's like, all right, well, let's go, go load up. And, you know, he grabs a bag and he also grabs his gun that he found. This mysterious implement of uh, could be destruction. And they pack up and they they head on out. Uh, meanwhile, you know, he's continuously feeding him lies about how, you know, dad's still alive. I've you know been talking to him and whatnot. And I don't know, man, this Jimmy character... <laughs> He's not very bright. 
he's he's bad news. There's like more holes in his plan than Swiss cheese. Maybe you know once more he got holes the lake to Tahoe, fill than Lisa Ann. Yeah, uh, maybe his plan was because you know he has a lot of money. So once he gets to Lake Tahoe, he's going to hire Randy Quaid to pretend to be Dennis Quaid, and that will buy I him mean, some time. That was the sequel that would have been if this didn't bomb. <laughs> I don't even know why I listen to you. You don't have a choice in that, kid. I'm your father. No, you're not. So so they leave the house like 30 seconds before James Franco shows up with an army of people. Did you think that Franco had, like he was, because I thought he was kind of like a small time criminal. I didn't realize that he had a legion of, <laughs> of gangsters. If you're a crime lord in Detroit, you're not to disparage the fine city of Detroit or its people, but. You're a bad hombre, man, and you got connections if you're running the crime circuit in that city. And I, I really actually enjoyed that shot because they get in the truck and they pull out, and it's yeah, it's just kind of quiet, the static shot of the house, and then the Franco and his crew come pulling around. And so they they take uh, Dennis Quaid's phone. That's how they eventually find out where they're going because Eli calls, leaves a voicemail. But uh, they're just driving now. Eli wakes up. I think they're in Iowa is what he says. He's just fucking driving to drive and get away. My man Eli at the, the rest stop or the diner they go to is playing the T2 arcade game. Did you catch that? Oh, yeah, I did. It's yeah. in all caps on my, my notes. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure Alex is going to geek out over this. Yes. I mean, that's one of the all-time great arcade cabinets. And fitting in this is like pretty much the closing sequence of this there's like a literal like the way the shot is framed and presented is a direct homage to the first terminator so i respect it i respect what they're doing here uh they're just on the run and staying at shitty seedy motels and um quickly the bonding process is going to begin back in detroit though before taylor james franco can get on the hunt they give his brother a fucking viking funeral <laughs> he's just like on a stack of pallets and they are all saying their piece. It's like Sons of Anarchy type shit, you know. You got the guy who looks like Opie and all the really trashy blonde women who, you know, kind of have the feathered hoods on their jackets and probably play pour some sugar on me on the jukebox <laughs> at the bar while drinking Miller Lite with salt on the rim. Uh, this is Franco's Oscar clip. His, his big uh, goodbye speech. That's fair. I was trying to think of what else it could have been. I mean, in the his like last stand is pretty good, but you're right. This is... Uh, his uh, recounting of how his brother, you know, when he was a little boy, his brother killed someone for him, that type of thing. <laughs> it's uh, the kind of thing that uh, kids do in in the world. We get, I think this smash cuts to Eli in the bathroom at the shitty motel they're staying at, just playing with that gun. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> but, but again, it's, like I it's said, a 14-year-old. Yeah, but also imagine if this was a real gun, the exact same scene, but with a real gun. That is different, right? Like with with a with the sci-fi gun, it puts you on edge, but it also looks kind of cool. Substitute with a real gun, and then you're just too the, horrified to have fun. Exactly, you know the alien gun with all the bells and whistles on it adds a bit of levity to it. Yeah, if he was just holding like a fucking AK or like a Magnum, it would be like, well, this is extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> but this is where we find the clean. I guess they're they're called the cleaners. The cleaner. Not Kenny Omega, but the, the cleaners are these, what appear to be another worldly life form. And they're back in Detroit and they have like tracking on their weapons. And so they're trying to find one of their weapons that was left behind and they, they want it. And so now they're on the fucking hunt for it. They apprehend these motorcycles and 
it's this really, really cool idea of like outside intervention. And I mean, outside in the sense of outside of earth intervention to like this crime case that's happening here. And so, you know, unbeknownst to Jimmy and Taylor and uh, even Eli at this point, there's forces they can't comprehend that are about to, you know, intervene in their situation. To quote Sarah Connor at the end of Terminator, a storm was coming. They just didn't know it. I have to be this guy. Um, <laughs> she does not say that. The Hispanic gentleman translates for the little boy. Says He said a storm is coming. And she looks at the dark clouds and she says, I know. That's so. right. Because she, she doesn't ask, was that the boogeyman? <laughs> she says that was the boogeyman. <laughs> she affirms it was the boogeyman. Well played. Well played, sir. <laughs> and then the, the gas station guy goes, as a matter of fact, see. <laughs> see. <laughs> Eli calls his dad and says, you know, we'll see you in Lake Tahoe. He checks this in. Is, yes, he does. And this message is intercepted by James Franco and his clan. There is like this awesome shot of like, he's just, you know, white trash 101. And uh, when he gets the call, he's listening to it. And you can see that he's making this grilled cheese that he's just burnt to shit. <laughs> you know, it's like borderline smoking in his kitchen. You know, no butter or oil on it or anything. It's just a really nice touch because I don't I don't take him for someone who has the delicacy to make a good grilled cheese. <laughs> well, also, Alex, he's he's in mourning. I think that he had other things in his mind. Maybe he's oh, a better okay. chef when when his brother is not dead. If he's in mourning, then that's a specific reason to make a good grilled cheese. That's there's nothing that like warms unless you're lactose intolerant, of course. But there's <laughs> nothing more warming than a well-made grilled cheese sandwich. The brothers are bonding though. As Eli wakes up, Jimmy's like, "Hey, we got to get out of here." He tells him to pull the truck up. He's like, "I don't know how to drive." And we see the sequence of like Jimmy teaching him how to do donuts and floor the accelerator in a car and. There's some slow-mo shots of them making eye contact, and we're learning that you know these brothers are becoming friends now, and they're getting the bonding time they never really had in their youth. It's, it's like their kin. Yeah, there you go. And, of course, like men do, they're pissing off the side of the road. And I did laugh. He asked his brother, he's like, do you like performance art? And this transitions to them going into a strip club. This kid's 14, man. And he, you know, he's, not, he's not even old-looking 14. He yeah, just but, takes him but, into the strip club. He's like, just play it cool, man. So who's who's to blame here? Who are you judging here? Uh, Jack Rayner for for maybe trying to speed up this kid's uh, puberty along? Or the owners of the strip club for letting the kid in to begin with? Oh, them for sure. Because that's how you lose your liquor license immediately. Is <laughs> if they find someone. They just kind of look at him and roll their eyes. But then they see the wad of cash they pull out. And they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, Jack Rayner, to his credit, uh, one, he doesn't order alcohol for Eli, and two, he doesn't, like, buy him a lap dance or anything. He just, just tell him, like, sit here and watch. But he, he does well. He, you know, he's drinking his Pepsi or whatever and just kind of hangs out and gives off the vibe, puts out a little bit of charm. He looks 16. <laughs> it bumps his rate up. Uh, but the star of the strip club here is Millie, played by Zoe Kravitz. What else, uh, you know, X-Men First Class, what else does she have on her acting credentials? Uh, she's been on The Contrarians twice, Alex. Uh, both times, they were minor characters. She was uh, Will Smith's daughter in After Earth, so she had a couple of voicemails 
in that movie. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> and she was one of the brides in uh, Fury yes, Road. Yes, yes, she was in Fury Road. Good call. This is the most screen time we've seen her have. I mean, as far as the Contrarians canon. Oh yeah, this is like the most flushed out she's had of a character in anything I've seen her in. I I think it's not difficult to make the case that uh, she is a better older sibling than Jack Rayner. Extremely. <laughs> but he's like smitten with her. Uh, Rayner, that is Jimmy, and you know he gets drunk. He tries to get on stage with her, and uh, it doesn't look like a particularly bumping night at the strip club. I imagine it's like a Tuesday <laughs> or a Wednesday night because. You know, the girls have time to sit with uh, Jimmy and Eli and joke around, and uh, Millie tries to get to, or she doesn't try to, she gets to know uh, Eli a little bit better, and his brother gave him a handful of cash. He's like, give this to the girls that you like, and he gave it all to her. It's a, it's a sweet moment, but she when she gets it. on... Th- <laughs> She does. <laughs> Were you? I was pleasantly surprised that she took it because the that that follows kind of like a sweet scene where she's talking to him and telling him coming to this place doesn't make you a man. And you know she she gives him the talk that an adult should have given him, and uh, and then he hands her the money and you would expect it in in I guess in that traditional movie she would not take it she would return it she's like that's sweet but that's for you go buy yourself some gum. You've been in America too long, man. <laughs> well, I watched this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, he's my brother. Adopted, obviously. And do you think it's a good idea that he's here? Like, she's still, you know, yeah, this kid's sweet and I care, but also I got to make a living. Oh, she's a stripper. Yeah, this is exactly the point. That's what they do. Especially when they are, uh, when they're under the watchful eye of, uh, what's the name of this dude? The, the, I guess he's a pimp at this point. Oh, the guy in the he call he, uh, Jimmy keeps calling him Lyle Lovett, which I thought was actually pretty funny. <laughs> yes, I I want to say I know that guy from somewhere, but I I can't place him. But I was much like with Franco. Once that guy was introduced, my thought was, all right, it's only a matter of time before this guy gets vaporized by that big gun. Did you have the countdown in your head to when that gun was yes. going to be shot and like <laughs> kill one you, of the bad guys? Yes, I was like, who's going to be the one that incurs the wrath of this fucking gun that we don't know its power quite yet? Uh, and fortunately, you know, the strip club cowboy was not it. His car gets blown up, but not him. But as Jimmy tries to dance, it causes a scene with the bouncers and whatnot. They tell him the only reason we tolerated you and the underage kid is because, you know, you've been paying money. Uh, he is just drunk and talking shit. <laughs> they're you know throwing a bunch of uh, expletives at Zoe Kravitz's way when she's trying to like quell the situation. So Eli pulls the gun out and he's like, you know, no one move. And they're, they're looking at him like they should have. Like, what? What is that? A toy? Like, are you holding an Xbox there? What are you doing? <laughs> and he hears a a pool cue falls. So he quickly, you know, course corrects with the gun and shoots the pool table. It blows it up and blows out the side of the building. So everyone's obviously in a panic. Jimmy and Millie now take off with him. They're like, we got to get the fuck out of here. So they pile in a car. One of the other strippers says to Millie, I hope you know what you're doing. She says, me too. And they take off. And when they get far enough away, they're in the country. They pull over and they, they try to like shoot the gun off. But the only one it works for is Eli. And so he's just blowing up, you know, hay bales and shit like that. It's at this point Jimmy realizes, oh, God, I left my bag back at the club. It had 60 or 70 grand in it because, you know, you just... 
casually forget about that kind of stuff. One, you put something like that down, and two, you forget about it. This guy's a fucking idiot, man. Well, he, and, he, he was drunk. And Dennis he was Quaid's happy. still dead, and Eli doesn't know yet. <laughs> he was trying to uh, not prevent, but you know, just uh, stall as much as possible. He's like, once I tell this kid that his father is dead, his life changes forever. So might as well have a little party for a few days. So so he always has the memories of before he knew. I understand. I mean, he's a loser, but he had he had good intentions. Even Zoe Kravitz. Seems My family by can't live in good intentions, Marge. <laughs> he's just being a dickhead here. He doesn't know what, what to do, what better to do. This somehow leads to them deciding they're going to rob people. Well, no, they're uh, going to get his money back. But that entails them robbing people. Is it really robbing if you're just taking back what was robbed from you? <laughs> if you have to hold someone at gunpoint, yes. My point is the situation. <laughs> but what if they're bad guys? <laughs> Isn't it well, who's the bad guy here? This is this is like the you know the former criminal having to you know they had to make me turn back into the old me, you know that type of thing. And Jimmy obviously knows what to do and how to score because Millie knows where they do this poker game and. They know they're only going to really prevail if they have this big alien gun. So poor Eli, man, gets sucked into it. And they put, uh, you know, the ski mask on him and have him hold these guys hostage with the big gun. And they end up getting their money back. And I actually enjoy this because it's one of these things of like, this movie had a $30 million budget, which is, you know, we say all the time, I would like to have that much money. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a pretty modest budget. So you got to do things to be creative, and I really enjoyed here how this poker game is at a like a cattle ranch, mm-hmm. and so the escape scene when they go and successfully get the money back, but they got to run because there's they're they're outnumbered. They may have this big fucking gun, but they're they're outnumbered in mass. So the getaway is them like navigating their way through these like milking stations and herd of cattle, all like real cows and shit. And it adds a sense of tension to it and like a sense of realism to it as well. And, uh, you know, me, I was watching this like, hey, those are real cows. That's cool. (laughs) Makes this more believable to me, even though they're carrying an alien weapon. So I I really appreciate what they did here. And then when they do like they're on their way out, Eli makes a point to turn around and shoot the gun off at the, you know, Lyle Lovett's truck and it's clearly a fucking truck on wires that they flip upside down and crash so this is all up my alley here this particular sequence you forgave how shitty of a person uh, jack rayner was for a few seconds (laughs) while he enjoyed the practical effects surrounding him you know part of me was hoping that zoe kravitz as soon as they like got out of the car just peeled out and stole the truck and was like (laughs) (laughs) idiots or no she would say men do you think there's uh, an earlier version of the script where one or two cows got just blasted by the super gun because I thought that that was a, a a possibility once I saw how many cows there were. That's been, I mean, everything's been done in movies, but was it the watch where they did that? They found, used the gun they found on a cow and it blew up. I know there's specifically a scenario exactly like this in a comedy somewhere where they get a weapon. That from like an alien, they don't know what it is, and they point at a cow and it like vaporizes this cow. My point to you, or my answer to you, I should say, is that I truly believe it was in the original script, but then some of the <laughs> Michael B. Jordan, the executive producer, came through. He's like, Man, ain't you fuckers ever seen the, the, the watch? 
<laughs> he didn't have the heart to tell him, have you ever seen Terminator? <laughs> so once they pull off this robbery and they're just like really happy and they're celebrating and they're on a hot streak, they go to a casino, all this stuff. Is this where they truly become kin? Is this when the, the title of the movie made sense to you? <laughs> oh, hey, um, I got a pair of chucks hiding in a trunk around here somewhere. If I find them, you can have them. Sound good? I would guess so, because the height of emotion, of positive emotion, and you know, family and feeling has to come right before everything just completely falls apart. Because they end up going to Nevada. He doesn't even say Vegas. He's just like, hey, <laughs> we're close to Nevada. <laughs> and then so it shows them pulling into a big building that says casino. And uh, so he's you know gung-ho to go gamble away and spend away. The the culmination of the sequence at the casino though is there Millie and Eli are in the lobby and you know at the buffet or some shit. And Eli sees on TV the news report about Dennis Quaid being killed and how it's now suspected that it was his brother and him that did it. And this is sadly how he learns that his father has passed. And, you know, he goes into the casino floor and rightly, as would happen. The security guards are immediately like, we have a minor on the floor. There's a situation here. <laughs> Unlike the people at the strip club, they they actually right. did their job. But he goes and finds his brother and he's like, you lied to me. You lied to me. And, you know, it's a it's a whole thing. Okay. Uh, to, to Jack Rayner's credit, he almost told him <laughs> when they were alone in the room. But then Zoe Kravitz had to walk in and ruin the moment. What a man, dude. What a male you are for blaming the woman. <laughs> she apologizes even. She knew it was her fault. But this obviously just goes poorly because people around them recognize them on the news. And then the security's called just the situation to begin with. Uh, Jack Rayner tries to fight his way out, I, I guess, if you want to say that to his credit. But uh, they're apprehended and taken in. It, it would appear it is all over at this point, Julio. But is it, Alex? Because there's still a big alien gun floating out there. Amazingly, the cops don't do anything with that. They just book it as normal <laughs> evidence. They probably tried to hook it up to a TV and play Madden on it. <laughs> They're very responsible about how they handle this this whole case. They, uh, they treat Eli pretty well. Even, even All things considered, they treat Jack Rayner pretty well. They, they allow visitation. <laughs> they let them communicate. So they're booked. And yeah, Eli is not really in custody. He's not like in a, a holding cell or anything like that. But Jimmy is. This is uh, where we get kind of interspersed shots of Taylor, James Franco continuing to be on the hunt. So they allow Eli the opportunity to speak to his brother. And obviously, he's not really wanting to hear anything that he's saying. And uh, at this point, it pretty much becomes a... I don't want to say remake because it puts its own spin on it, but Julio, this is the police scene, the police station scene from Terminator. So Eli is Sarah and Jack Rayner is Kyle. Yes. And Franco is Arnold. Shockingly, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's that's about as far as you can take the, the analogy, I think, because I don't know that there's an equivalent to... Uh, who's Bishop and who's Paul Winfield? Like, who assumes the roles of them just the cops right but there is okay so i think those three right sarah kyle and uh 
uh, and Arnold are pretty easy to identify. And then you have uh, yeah, Paul Winfield and and Lance Henriksen. Um, there is one cop that turns out to be kind of fundamental in the way things play out. So that the one would, that gives uh, the keys to Eli. Yeah, yeah. It's like sure, you can have the evidence. <laughs> Because uh, Eli tells me, like, you saw my bag. You know what I have, man. I need it. <laughs> it's like, do I know what you have? <laughs> uh, but that cop gets killed. So I guess that's Paul Winfield. Because we never see Lance Henriksen die on camera. So Henriksen is whatever too. cop gets away. But anyway, your point is well taken, Alex. This is, And it's not a, a bad thing. I think that it was so long ago, Terminator that it's okay <laughs> to, to kind of heavily draw on that sequence for inspiration here, especially because, as you said, it it, it puts its own spin on it. But, uh, yeah, seeing James Franco kind of... Well, shit, being, if you're going to you know put your own spin on something, nothing better than Terminator. So I, I, I respect it. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, the, the special effects have, have improved since then and the, just the way that we write dialogue and the, the way that we act the way that they act. So yeah, I, I was happy to see it with a new, with a new sheen and, and seeing James Franco as this unstoppable force that's just making his way through a, through a police station. I mean, that's just badass. Again, because I knew that at some point this movie couldn't end without Franco getting, meeting his demise in a pretty horrifying way. So I was looking forward to that. All right. So what happens here now, it's just like pandemonium. The police station has been hollowed out. Franco's people are out front with machine guns fighting off anyone that, tries to come in uh the fbi is called in and julio um i wasn't familiar with but you seem to be familiar with the fbi agent morgan hunter played by carrie coon dude that is you like to talk about big dick energy i would like to just give props to carrie coon's agent who got her third billing in the opening credits and she shows up with 20 minutes to go in the movie and she has maybe three lines in the entire movie (laughs) What's going on? How do you make that kind of deal? She's great. Those of you uh, playing the contrarian drinking game, get your shot ready because I'm about to praise the leftovers. But she is my favorite character in the leftovers. <laughs> she's she's great. She's in all three seasons. She's I'm a big fan of hers. It, she's also in the third season of Fargo. She's a main character in the third season of Fargo, the TV show. She's been Affleck's sister in Gone Girl. That movie's fucking great. Okay, did you recognize her? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> but now that you say that, I do, and she's excellent in that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's one of the main characters. She's uh, she's one of the reporters in the Post that uh, the Steven Spielberg movie from a few years ago. Uh, so she's, I mean, she's she's a name. She was already a name in 2018. I think that she already done the leftovers in Fargo. So I don't know. I mean, this is just like fuck. I was about. I almost spoiled a. Uh, Glass Onion cameo for you. So I'm not going to, but it's just one of those puzzling things. Because again, she gets third billing, unless there is a director's cut where you follow her character from the beginning of the movie. <laughs> and then they just decide to cut all that out. It's crazy. And I'll give the movie a lot of props for this. I saw her name in the opening credits and I got really excited. And then the movie was so engaging that I completely forgot about it until she showed up in that in this final sequence of the movie. So the movie was good enough to make me forget about one of my favorite actresses. That shows uh, uh, quality. It's a hallmark of an engaging script right there, I tell you what. Yeah, yeah. you forget about the things that you were anticipating because you're just so excited about the things that are actually happening. But yeah, she shows up not even to save the day. <laughs> she, she shows up just to say, hi, I'm Carrie Coon. <laughs> because she 
is like, gun, get down. <laughs> and then, you know, has a conversation with Eli at the end. But before we can get to that, Franco's crew gets eradicated by uh, the alien weapon or what we believe is the alien weapon. Pretty awesome. Just like it has different settings. It'll vaporize. It'll blow people away. It'll blow people up, that type of thing. Um, How crazy so is his- it, Alex, that we've reached a point where Eli is actively killing people and <laughs> just <laughs> and not really batting an eye at it either right right i mean it was you know because the movie was being very careful about not having him kill people right he shoots at things he blows up that car he blows up a wall the the pool table and so you know that was a very conscious choice of of course it's a kid you're not gonna have a kid killing people but then we've reached a point in the story where he has to do it and it's it's not even like the movie the characters the story there's no time for anybody to take a moment and assimilate it it's just like oh it's up to the audience deal with this <laughs> we we gotta move to the ending because they keep it at a respectable runtime it's an hour and 45 minutes that is true it's all point you don't have to fucking spoon feed your audience everything dude he's reloading shoot him now go Franco's the last man standing as it appears as though Jimmy and Eli are going to have to give themselves up to the cops. Uh, James Franco comes out. He's got the gun pointed at Jimmy. And then in case you forgot about him, our masked assailants or, you know, otherworldly forces, we don't really know yet. They reappear in these bikes and they just tear through the crime scene there and end up on scene and they're being shot at, and these bullets are just completely, you know, bouncing off them. They're impervious to any of the damage that these things can do. They throw like a what appears to be a flash grenade into the the police station, and when it goes off, it basically it's like quicksilver shit. It just freezes what's happening right now. So like a bullet is literally in flight to Jimmy's head from Taylor's gun, but these two who we believe are aliens come in and they press the little gimmick on their helmets and they reveal their faces and one of them is Michael B. Jordan and the Who other one not I didn't on the reckon, credits no uh, well he's in the post credits as the executive producer on it but yeah, I don't think he was in the opening credits he but was whatever not. the case I didn't recognize the other one are, are you familiar with um, Lily Gao are you familiar with the the, the female cleaner Mm-mm. but even if I had I think I would have been just too starstruck by the fact that Michael B. Jordan was under that helmet uh, I didn't see it coming is I mean, this... imagine go, going to this like with no context and be like, "Holy shit, it's Apollo Creed's kid." <laughs> was this was this like when you saw uh, Tupac in Nothing But Trouble? Okay, I'm gonna be honest. It wasn't quite that shocking, but it was definitely <laughs> like, "Oh shit, it's Michael B. Jordan." I, I had to do a double take. I'm like, "Is that Michael B. Jordan?" <laughs> with five minutes left in the movie, he shows up to uh, provide some necessary exposition. And Julio, I need you to recount this exposition to us. I'm going to task you with that. <laughs> You're tapping out. Yes. You're going to let me do the pin or whatever you call it. Uh, <laughs> take the cover. Take the cover. <laughs> uh, all right. So they never explain who these people are as far as if they're from another planet, another dimension, uh, another timeline. What Michael B. Jordan says is that Eli is one of them. That's why earlier he had shown uh, uh, Zoe Kravitz. Eli has shown Zoe Kravitz uh, this marking that he had on his hand, and he thought that it was a scar from his abusive parents, his biological parents. Uh, That's right. 
but it turns out that no, that that little thing that he has is just like a mark that uh, shows that under his skin there is a device. There's something that is what allows him to use the gun. That's why he's the only person that can use a gun because he's, I guess, he's not human or he's not from this time or from this dimension. You know, he's from Michael B. Jordan's dimension, and uh, there's a war going on in that dimension, planet, whatever. And Eli is very important, so they hit him in our planet, dimension, timeline, whatever. But they they've been keeping an eye on him and uh, he wasn't supposed to get this gun <laughs> they're here to take the gun back don't worry eli we'll come back for you at some point because you're very important to us and then michael b jordan closes by i guess revealing that that he is his actual brother so this was the real kin <laughs> michael b jordan and eli are, are actual brothers and then they have they do their little handshake and their hands glow and then they go away uh back to wherever they came from. They take the gun with them and they save uh, Jack Rayner's life because they, they change the trajectory of the bullet. Yeah, they do like the... Was a game called Portal? Trying to, that might have just been called Portal where you find like an opportunity and open it up. Was that Maybe it was Half-Life where you had like that Portal gun. Anyway, they find their way back to wherever they come from and then yeah, they turn the bullet around. Lily Gao does. And so when time comes back into the fold right through james franco's head it goes and so that's how we get rid of taylor and then jimmy basically takes the blame for every single thing that's happened uh so that eli's future is not compromised or ruined at all but your girl here carrie coon goes and has a conversation with eli that pretty much takes us out on the movie (laughs) she tells him i'll be back she she asks a couple questions. Eli uh, <laughs> follows, you know, his brother's advice. I guess he clamps up. He doesn't say anything, and then she's like, "All right, but this isn't over." She's John Ham at the end of the A Team. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what was her name? You you got her name from the credits, I guess, because they never call her anything on this movie. Not even like Agent Whatever. FBI Agent Morgan Hunter. She has a first and a last name, man. <laughs> Is she? Where did this movie come from? Is it? Is it like a comic book? Is it, is it, and you know, she's a character there. I know. I I read that on the opening credits. They say that it's based on a short made by the same guy. So I wonder if she was a a bigger character on the short. Bagman is what it's based on here, and Bagman was written and directed by the Baker brothers, Jonathan and Josh. Bagman is the understated story of a twelve-year-old boy who takes us on an introspective journey out of the city and into a remote countryside of upstate New York with a mysterious duffel bag in hand. Its contents unknown to us. We journey from the urban hustle of Harlem into the winter-ravaged woodlands of a world away. On the road, we slowly discover his real intentions and the significance of what is hidden inside a young man's bag. All right. Is it Kariku's head? (laughs) No, it's uh, FBI agent Morgan Hunter's head. (laughs) Okay. Uh, but anyway, that was Ken. That was Ken. The real Ken was in another the dimension. The we made along the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the real Ken was the guns we found along the way. I have many thoughts on this. No, that's not fair. <laughs> I have thoughts on this movie. I have thoughts on the premise of this movie and the execution of it in that one is good and one is bad. So <laughs> I'll be curious to see which side of the fence you reside on, Julio. Right. I will say this as we close Contrarian's Corner. 
This movie was directed by brothers, features two characters that are not blood brothers, but they are, you know, adoptive brothers. Uh, mm-hmm. The antagonist loses his brother in, mm-hmm. a, in a gunfight, and that's why he's chasing them. And then at the end of the movie, our protagonist finds his real brother, who's from another dimension, planet, whatever. So, you know, they're just pissed that um, seven years before this, there was a movie called Brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That was like, damn it. What do we call it now? (laughs) I was, my timing was off. That was, uh, it would have been nine years before this because it was 2009 when that came out. A Jim Sheridan joint. That's right. Mm -hmm. So, all right, Julio. Well, I think we've, done what we can with this for contrarian's corner so i think it's time we go ahead and move this into real talk all right let's let's load our guns and head into the <laughs> yes <laughs> that's right you just looked out for your brother now i'm doing the same thing for mine we'll be seeing you again we're all counting on it 